0: Welcome back to another episode of What in the Sam Hill Podcast. I am your host, Aaron, and today we're going to get into some more weird shit. So before we get started, um, I do want to talk about the podcast website. So this is the first week that everything is fully migrated over to Substack, and everything will be on Substack from here on out. Um, Substack's a great place to keep all of my show notes along with all of my episodes. Um, but honestly, quite frankly, it just... I had started using Anchor when I, you know, when I started this podcast, I started with Anchor just because it was easy. And with all this Joe Rogan Spotify stuff going on, I just like don't want to be a part of it. Um, whereas Substack, I feel pretty reasonably confident that like shit's not going to hit the fan kind of thing. You know what I mean? So we've got our whiskey. We're going to talk. Um, today I want to talk about werewolves. But before we do that, again, <laughs> another thing, before we do this, before we do that, before we do this, um, it's Friday. Let's have a little fun. So I am going to read out some collective nouns for birds, just my favorite ones. These are great. And I mean, I think a lot of people have heard of like murder of crows and stuff like that, but there's some really good ones. So I don't know what a cedar waxwing is. Obviously, I presume it to be a bird, considering what I'm looking at, but there's an earful of cedar waxwings and a museum of cedar waxwings. Those are pretty good. A chick, a group of chicks is called a chattering of chicks. Um, Oh, in mating season, it's called a dance of cranes. But also, it can be called a construction of cranes. Or if they're flying, it's a swoop of cranes. <laughs> um, obviously, murder of crows, but also a muster of crows. Which is, um, I mean, I know that Texas A&M does muster when someone dies that was a former student. So, I assume it to be something related to death also. An asylum of cuckoos. That's a fun one. Okay, okay. This one's terrible. I don't know who did this. An incredulity of cuckolds. Y'all. Apparently, a baby cuckoo bird is called a cuckold. Who did that? That's not... That's... Mm, that's not fair to those poor baby birds. Um. Anyway, a group of a group of Jack Murphy's (laughs) that's a low blow but a group of Jack Murphy's is called an incredulity of cuckolds um let's see what's some other fun ones I have already started on the whiskey if that's what you're wondering yes I have the problem with being my size because I'm a large human um more so in height than in weight but you know like I'm not a house but I'm not skinny either um But the the thing about being my size and mostly Northern European (laughs) is that um, the whiskey doesn't hit until like the end of the show if I start at the beginning of the show. So I pretty much have to start a couple hours ahead of time. Whiskey is, uh, it definitely helps me talk more. Which is what you need with a podcast, I think. Anyway, so um, a group of doves is called a piteousness of doves. That was a little loud. I'm sorry. Getting a little too close here. Um, I have not figured out how to use the new microphone yet. I mean, I have. Like, I'm using it. I just don't know what the proper distance is. Um, A paddling of ducks. I like that one. A sword of mallards. Except for... It doesn't have a W in it. So that's not, I don't know what this what that kind of sword is. An Aerie of Eagles. I thought the Aerie was the Eagle's Nest. So I need more information about that. Maybe, well, who knows. Um, but also a Congress of Eagles or a Convocation of Eagles. I like that. A charm of finches, that's cute, or a trembling of finches. Oh, a mob of emus, that seems accurate. Emus suck, I hate them. I don't know why people get them on their farms. Do they have a use, other than just being butts? Um, flamboyance of flamingos is one of my favorites for sure. A skine of geese. I mean, I've heard of a gaggle, but what's a skine of geese? That's like it, a beer mug of geese. What the heck? A kettle of hawks. That's cute. Um. Oh no, I've see, this. I thought that was cute for a second because I was thinking of kitty hawk, not kettle hawk, North Carolina. Rude. A scattering of herons. Ooh, a siege of herons. I like that one. Oh, larks is cute. An ascension of heart of larks or an exaltation of of larks. A mischief of magpies. A parliament of owls is good. Oh, oh, I think we might have a winner. Pandemonium of parrots. I love it. Oh, I said that too early. An ostentation of peacocks. I love that. Peacocks are so ostentatious. Although a pandemonium of parrots is is probably still my favorite, actually. A squadron of pelicans? What's a flotilla? I need to know that. I don't know if a flotilla of pelicans is interesting or not, because I don't know what a flotilla is. It sounds like, obviously, something that floats, but I don't know. A rookery of penguins? Or a huddle of penguins. Ah, that's great. Oh my gosh. A group of penguins in the water is called a raft of penguins. That's cute. A bouquet of pheasants. A congregation of plovers. What's a plover? A plover? Plover? I don't know. It's spelled like clover, but with a P. Oh, I love Ravens. It's an unkindness of Ravens or a conspiracy of Ravens. You guys, we're a conspiracy of Ravens. (laughs) A parliament of rooks. Here's my question. Why is it not a rookery of rooks? That seems like it should go together. Instead, it's a rookery of penguins and a parliament of rooks. Someone's not putting two and two together. A contradiction of sandpipers like nope you guys are no you're not real you're not a real group of birds you're a contradiction <laughs> sparrows what is a, a, a meanie of sparrows m-e-i-n-i-e a meanie of sparrows manie of sparrows I don't know but there's also a coral of sparrows or a ubiquity of an ubiquity hmm I guess I say ubiquity with a lot of y at the beginning, and so it seems weird to say an ubiquity versus if I said an ubiquity. I don't know, whatever. They're wrong. <laughs> a murmuration of starlings or a cloud of starlings? A mustering of storks, a phalanx of storks? Um A lamentation of swans when flying in a V formation. Very specific. A rafter or raffle of turkeys. (laughs) We're going to raffle off a turkey. A pitying of turtle doves. A descent of woodpeckers. Like they all just fell down. Just a descent of woodpeckers. (laughs) oh even better a fall of woodcocks literally they all just fell down (laughs) which the fact that it's mm, there's a lot of penis jokes in there if you want to take it there i have a a child for a husband sometimes depending on what day it is and so that type of humor i don't necessarily laugh at it but i catch myself thinking about it like noticing it i guess um And then let's just... My favorite. As far as like the average between all the different ones that are possible, the vultures is the best. So it's a committee of vultures, a vault of vultures, a venue of vultures, a kettle of vultures, or a wake of vultures. And that depends like if they're on the ground or they're circling or when they're... So I guess I, you know... I'm missing out for not knowing what a cedar cedar wax wing is. (laughs) Anyway, I thought that would just be a fun little treat for our Friday. So werewolves. I want to know. Oh, you can hear that paper turning, can't you? I took my notes on paper this week. I'm a big paper person normally in my life. But I've been doing it not on paper because I've been doing it like typing it as I've been holding my baby. And this week I decided to do it on paper. And I like it, but you're gonna hear pages turning. So let's just pretend we're in the library together, I guess. This is like ASMR study uh, Pomodoro type. (laughs) Um, So this week... I'm going to try something a little different if you haven't figured out I'm literally trying something different every week as far as format as far as how I take my notes how many notes I take versus is it really a script or an outline how much am I allotting allowing myself uh time to go off script because I kind of I mean literally I write tangents into the script and then still go on further tangents so it's like you can't control it um But I'm just playing every week with what I like to do format-wise because eventually I'll I'll settle on something. But I'm so out of my element with this whole technology thing and, um, you know, everything else in life. (laughs) I say I'm a boomer, but really I am. Like for almost, literally I turned 31 in like 13 days almost, something like that. It's almost my birthday. I'm almost 31 And I am such a boomer. So, I'm learning. I'm learning. Anyway, so the main reason I wanted to look at werewolves is because... Well, I know a lot of people in the conspiracy community know about skinwalkers because of Skinwalker Ranch. I personally... Um, Oh, let's talk about the show Skinwalker Ranch for a second. Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, whatever. If you have... Okay, Travis Taylor, that guy. Well, first of all, we went to the same college, but like obviously many, many years apart. He has like eight degrees. I have one. Um, But he did a show back before Skinwalker Ranch called Rocket City Rednecks. It is so funny. It is... Honestly, one of the best shows, in my opinion, that's ever been on nerd TV. And by nerd TV, I mean like, you know, the History Channel, Science Channel, Discovery Channel kind of vibe. If you have not seen Rocket City Rednecks, I don't know if it's on like Netflix or anything because I do not have uh, streaming services at my house. Um, <clears throat> but you need to go look it up. And if it ever comes on like Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu or one of those, you it is hilarious. Um he's like one of my favorite people which probably means he's like a total glowy at this point and well I went to glowy college for sure I totally went to glowy college because I went to school in Huntsville right next to like you know Boeing and all that shit um so yeah <laughs> hello NSA agents <laughs> I, I I don't know it's it's not a big deal because like I already know I have I probably have like whole team of them i try to try to keep their life interesting is what it really is um anyway but so i watch secrets of skinwalker ranch and i watch um like mystery of blind or, or in a similar part of the country and they both kind of hint at skinwalkers i don't typically i'm not typically a tv person but my husband really really likes tv Cause he is, so he is extremely dyslexic. He's very smart, but he's extremely dyslexic. So he's never going to read books, um, or anything like that. So, and so to him coming home at the, and he works, he works a non-computer job. So to him coming home at the end of the day, he wants to watch TV because, you know, it's entertainment that doesn't involve him like reading words or anything. And because it's noise, that's not, um, you know, it's like sound in the background, He'll turn it on even, you know, when he's not watching it because it covers up his tinnitus or tinnitus if you're a doctor. Um, But yeah, so he loves watching TV and I kind, I mean, I grew up on nerd TV, but I didn't grow up on much TV anyway because I was busy. And then now, like I would, I stare at a screen all day long for work as an engineer. And so I would much rather, you know, read a book or something like that. Although, um right now with a baby, if I try to read a book, she'll like rip out the pages, not intending to, she's actually really good with books. Like she tries to turn the pages and read it, but she's one. So that works out well. Um, so my husband did get me a Kindle for Christmas and it's great because, you know, I can read books without losing pages. Um, but, uh, but we, we compromise and watch the nerd TV of, like, Mystery of Blind Fog Ranch, Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch. Actually, we'll watch, like, Wicked Tuna and the Baby. So, Wicked Tuna came on last year, like, when she was three months old, something like that. It was, like, her favorite show. She would instantly stop crying. It was so funny. But anyway, so because of my familiarity with the Skinwalker legends through those shows and the conspiracy community and all that... I wanted to know what was the difference between like a true werewolf of the European variety, um, <laughs> of the Harry Potter Twilight whatever variety, versus a shapeshifter, um, and also I al- I I. Guilty Pleasure will read like cheesy paranormal romance or cheesy paranormal um, cozy mysteries. And every single author has a different take on the paranormal world. and But a lot of them feature shifters, especially wolf shifters. Um, but they tend to feature shifters, not werewolves, and they make it a distinction between Um, those who choose to shift and those that are kind of forced to shift or typically they do. Um, It depends on the author. But yeah, so I wanted to know what was the difference. Um, And so I went on a little bit of a hunt. So this week what I'm going to try to do is walk you through my research process and the notes I was taking at the time versus like crafting a narrative. Because I think walking you through it might help. I don't know. I I re-listened to last week's episode and I felt like I was terrible at a script. So, who knows? We'll try. We're already 17 minutes in and it's literally just me whiskey ranting. So, who knows how this is going to go. So, first thing I did was look at newspapers and because I wanted to see if there were any reports. Weirdly, it was kind of hard to find um, reports of werewolves. I'm assuming perhaps I was using the wrong word. Anyway, I did find one newspaper article from, I think it was the 1700s, that referenced this book. It actually quoted it, a book by Richard Verstigan, which he wrote in, I think it was 1605. It's called Restitution of Decayed Intelligence, and it has like a dictionary in it, basically. And so... He discusses a few, uh, a few of the terms, well, two of the terms um, related to this. So, I'm going to read you a that little snapshot. What am I looking for? The word I'm looking for. Section. That's not the word, but whatever. I'm going to read you a little bit of, of that book. So, um... It starts with where our ancient ancestors used sometimes instead of man. Yet should it seem that there was most commonly taken for a married man. But the name of man is now more commonly known and more generally used in the whole Teutonic tongue than the name of where. I should mention right here two things. One. It was written in 1605. I did not translate it. Literally, I wrote it down in my own hand handwriting just so that I could change the spelling so that I could read it in real time without tripping up too much. Um, also, Teutonic just means, like, Germanic. So, um, I think Verstigen was Dutch? question mark, But it really... I mean, he's just referring to, like, all the Germanic languages. So, German, Dutch, Anglo-Saxon... Um, A.K. English, uh, that kind of thing. All right, and so then he goes on to talk about werewolf specifically. So werewolf, this name remaineth still known in the Teutonic, and is as much to say as man wolf. The Greek expressing the very like in lycanthropos. Elias, not knowing what were signifieth. Because in the Netherlands, it is now clean out of use, except thus composed with wolf. Doth misinterpret it according to his fancy. I don't... Actually, you know what? I should have looked up who Ortelius was. I need to know now, but I didn't. I'm sorry. The werewolves are certain sorcerers who, having anointed their bodies with an ointment which they make by the instinct of the devil and putting on a certain enchanted girdle, do not only, unto the view of others, seem as wolves, but to their own thinking have both the shape and nature of wolves, so long as they wear the said girdle. And they do dispose themselves as very wolves in worrying and killing and most of humane creatures. Of such, sundry have been taken and executed in sundry parts of Germany and the Netherlands, One Peter Stump for being a werewolf and having killed 13 children, two women, and one man was at Bedbur, not far from Cullen, in the year 1589, put unto a very terrible death. The flesh of diverse parts of his body was pulled out with hot iron tongues, his arms, thighs, and legs broken on a wheel, and his body lastly burnt. He died with a with very great remorse, desiring that his body might not be spared from any torment so his soul may be saved. The werewolf, so called in Germany, is in France called Loop Guru. And so that brings me to my next point. The werewolf, it seems, is basically the same thing as Skinwalker, um, Loop Guru, Windigo is the Algon- Algonquin version. Um, and I'm gonna butcher this, but technically, I think the word in their tribe is called Ithin Ithinewou? That's the like I think that's the word for their tribe. But I, they're using letters I don't know how to say. Um, and then Louisiana, this has been con- like so, it's the Loop Guru in like France and French Canada, Acadia, whatever. In Louisiana, they call it the rougarou, which comes from loop garou. It's just the Cajuns. Um, so loop means wolf, and then garou it basically means werewolf. So it's like saying wolf werewolf back to back. Um, it just you know, it kind of it kind of merged. I mean, I guess it's like people saying hot water heater. You don't need to heat hot water. So people in the construction industry make that joke all the time. So it's like wolf werewolf, you know, that kind of ATM machine, automatic transaction, machine, machine, or whatever it is. I don't remember what ATM stands for, but I know that the M is machine. So when we say ATM machine, it's literally just saying machine, machine. Um, And then skinwalkers are Navajo, you know, so that's like the first thing that really struck me was I had grown up with the legend of you know werewolves changing at the full moon and yet here we see that werewolves are not that at all they are sorcerers that um that change their bodies at will you know using their tools at will oh my goodness my phone's still on um put that on silent um, but yeah, so that was like a, a thing that was like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting, because that's definitely not what I grew up around, which basically means all of these things come from the same thing. Now, I will say, um, I did have the thought and, and question of like, is it possible that the Algonquin tradition, for example, came from the European settlers, and then they maintained that tradition? while. The Europeans then uh, adapted theirs to be more of the like the full moon thing. And since Algonquin tradition is oral, it is hard to know how much the Windigo predates colonial French contact. Um, and, you know, perhaps even Viking contact before that. But since the Navajo are much further west with the Skinwalkers... I'm guessing that the Wendigo predates and basically is just independent of the whole colonization process um, for the most part. Because, I don't know, it's just like, by the time that the Americans would have been interacting with the Navajo, I would think that the, the werewolf, due to sorcery, would have already become werewolf of the full moon variety. And so it wouldn't make sense that they um that the navajo would learn of werewolf of the sorcery variety from the europeans slash americans if the americans were already ta- teaching werewolf of the full moon variety um now i guess it is possible that they got this from the spanish because they did have contact with the spanish well before they had contact with like the British American um, variety in the wild when, when Americans moved into the wild West um, versus like the Spanish had already moved up from Mexico well before that. I mean, that's the reason why we have so much, so many Spanish names in the so- American Southwest. Um, but since there are so many elements of that Navajo and other Southwestern um, American Indian, Amer- Native American, whatever, um, religion that were preserved. So I'm thinking like peyote and all that. It seems like they would have preserved skinwalkers too. Um, why would they take one thing from the Europeans and not the other? And by Europeans, I definitely mean Americans. Why would they, you know, why would they have, so if the Spanish taught them, so, okay, let's say they had their, And their original religion with the peyote and all that, and zero skinwalkers, and then they learned about skinwalkers from the Spanish, and so they learned the werewolves of the sorcery variety. Why would they then go back later, um, when the Americans came through? And so that was my thought. So then. That led me to this book by Montague Summers, and it was called The Werewolf in Lore and Legend. And it's actually a reprint of his a book that was originally The Werewolf, just The Werewolf. But this was out in, like, 1933. I need a drink. I still have a little bit of a, that, like, phlegm thing left over from the baby getting me sick. Um... And so, Montague Summers was like technically I think a religious man of the cloth variety um but also he was like an esotericist. So he did he wrote books on werewolves and vampires and like all this stuff. Um so he's a pretty good resource on some of the more like older things. The hardest part about Studying this something that this is this old versus studying something, um, you know, like the world's Chicago World's Fair that happened in the turn of the century. Essentially, is that it is much harder to find those resources. I mean, we we have newspapers from 1900. We don't have newspapers from 1500. You know, we don't have newspapers from before the Gutenberg press. You know, Um, newspapers weren't a thing. So it is harder to get information in the written form of the primary source variety. Most of those texts are held in, um, in, you know, collections in in Europe or um, perhaps universities here, but a lot of them are not digitized. So little hamstrung, I don't like using secondary sources, but here we are. Um, Now, Montague Summers' book, The Werewolf and Lore and Legend, pretty much only focuses on werewolves in Europe. Uh, I mean, I think it does include Russia, but the European side of Russia, I guess. And he acknowledges that that is because there are legends of werewolves on basically every continent. And if he was to thoroughly investigate all of those, you would not be able to put them in one book. Um, interestingly I don't think he ever went back and did Werewolves of any other continent but this book alone was like 300 plus pages. Um, but yeah so Montague Summers is an interesting cat because he's he's studying the occult in like the 20s and 30s and providing really rich analysis but he, he is religious. Um, and I actually have written down here. So he started as an Anglican and then became a Catholic. So his conclusions basically I mean throughout the book his his conclusions are basically it's satanic (laughs) which is not super helpful I need to stop laughing into the mic I'm so sorry um but yeah his conclusions are it's satanic and that's really not helpful for me but he does have some facts in history that I want to try to use without using his conclusions because I mean if if your only conclusion is it's satanic you're not asking questions in my opinion. My humble, humble opinion. So, I am not going to quote him from him directly, but I am going to talk about some of the things he talks about and provide my own commentary. So, he says that werewolf is used as a synonym for the devil in the Laws of King Canut, ecclesi- Ecclesiastical Ordinances 26, and, um, so to me, I wonder if there's any correlation to the legend of Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, being suckled by a wolf, because there was a lot of Roman contact with England at an early or an early point in that you know first millennium post eighty whatever, and so I was just wondering if perhaps werewolf was being used as an anti-Roman slur in the representations of the devil and not like literally the devil um but i will say king canut was a little late for personal conflicts with rome he ruled england and scandinavia right kind of before the rome the norman invasion of 1066 now the eastern european or eastern european eastern roman empire was still kicking then but they didn't really i mean get involved with England too much or Scandinavia. Um, And I don't think the Vikings, the Vikings didn't try to conquer England until like a few hundred years after the Romans had left. So I think that's not really an accurate representation, but it was just a thought I had. Um, And I mean, the year 1000 predates 1600 quite a bit as far as like how early that they're talking about this in England. So that's interesting to me, but I don't think it's an anti-Roman slur. I think I just made that up. But there is definitely an early association between the werewolf and the devil. And I had a couple thoughts about that too. So one, the educated the educated men of the Middle Ages were the religious men. Like basically it was like kings and monks that could write. Um so all of the commentary is going to skew religious. And I think that really clouds everything that we're dealing with here. Because just like a Montague Summers, they're just going to say, oh, it's satanic. It's the devil. Well, that's not really helpful, is it, sir? <laughs> um, and then also there is like this longstanding, you know, rivalry, I guess, of sorts between um, wolves and sheep and with the Christian like lamb jesus motif it seems like that may be you know it, it it may be easy for it it may be easier for a religious person to see wolves as devils considering the wolves versus sheep r- like rivalry and the christians are team sheep through jesus in the metaphor um and then also it's you know there's persistent animosity between wolves and people in britain and they had royal bounties being put on wolves um and then i think they were fine they were they were eventually made extinct it's not really clear when but it was like somewhere in the 16th to 19th centuries so i mean 1600 with if you if you think about like the the whole like 1600 being the mark of Roughly when Richard Verstiggen was writing. And then also when um, uh, Peter Stump was executed. Granted, neither of them were in Britain. But it was still like very much um, rural people dealing with wolves eating their livestock. So there was probably that conflict as well a little bit. Because he, that's the thing is like technically in the literature, there is where everything Well, not everything, but there's a lot of different wares, like werebears and all that. Why is it that werewolves were, you know, so prevalent and so long lasting and really dominated the legend sphere, even though they, you know, there were other were types? Um, And I would imagine that that might be one of the reasons because there were more direct conflicts with farmers and such. Interestingly, there was some speculation as to whether warlock was a corruption of werewolf, but um, to this, Summers says, This is, of course, a wholly impossible etymology, since the first element in warlock is the Old English were W-O-E-R, meaning covenant. And the second element is related to the Old English leugen, L-E-O-G-A-N meaning to lie or deny. Thus the first meaning of warlock is one who breaks a treaty, the violator of his oath, a man forsworn, hence in general a false and wicked person and then a magician or a sorcerer. Um, So they aren't etymologically related but there is definitely association in people's minds between werewolves and witchcraft Um, So it is interesting that other people thought or, you know, suggested that there may be an etymological relationship between the two. And I will say this um, to me was interesting because so often in the like pagan communities um, that I dabble in, (laughs) you'll also see people conflicted over whether um, male witches or whatever should be called witches or wizards or warlocks and generally people feel that um, witch is the preferred term just in general because wizard is a little bit more of a different concept and you see that in like for example the paranormal fiction literature not that that's facts but it's like a barometer of where the you know the mindset is and if you know most of them most of those paranormal books fiction books now reference that with other than harry potter of course reference that wizard is more of like a a thinking type of magic versus um which is more of like a feeling type of magic but in general people feel that warlock is um someone who has betrayed the coven as an oath breaker so that is interesting that montague summers does reference and confirm that um it's interesting, though, that he takes that not as a violator of his oath to the coven, but rather um, a violator of his oath kind of to God, to be honest. A violator of his oath to God and the community um, by practicing magic. So um, so that's interesting. Now, in the early Icelandic legends, the wizard's wizard or sorcerer's body doesn't physically become a wolf, kind of. I You know... So it takes a wolf shape and spirit, but the wolf bodies, or I'm sorry, the human, how do I, uh, uh, I don't like this. So the wizard's soul, like basically leaves his body and becomes a wolf that other people can see, but his body, his physical human body stays behind. Just like lifeless, dead, coma status. i Maybe not dead, but coma, I'm assuming. So that's like a very different twist. I mean, either way, I have questions about how this physically happens. But like normally you think of the physical body of the, the sorcerer becoming the physical body of the wolf. You don't think of the physical body of the sorcerer staying behind and his soul being basically becoming a new physical body i mean that's that's different i have questions um so you're either changing physical shape or like you're creating a new physical shape both of those just kind of defy physics they the they defy the law of conservation of mass um but i guess also i suppose that like if at the most fundamental quantum level energy is mass, and vice versa, then the physical body is energy, and doesn't have to be a closed system. So even, I guess, then the law of conservation of energy wouldn't have to apply. Um, So it's kind of like the opposite of Catholic transubstantiation of the Eucharist. So with transubstantiation, the bread and wine in essence, in substance, become the body and blood of christ but in like physical form they remain the same instead of that we have the person changing in physical form but in essence remaining the same so it's like trans (laughs) not a word people not a word um we also we we know that there's like well if you're in of of an esoteric variety you know that there is magic and frequency everywhere. Um, the key to making if and then if you're in the conspiracy variety, see this is where all the different realms of my brain overlap. Um, so the key to making a working the key to making a working free energy device, free energy device like Nik- Nikola Tesla style, is to make it an open system. I can't. I think who is the guy that does has talked about free energy. My brain wants to say it's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the guy who does the anti-vax stuff also, but I can't remember. He has a very distinct voice, though, so I'm feeling like if, if my brain thinks it's him, it's probably him. Um, but anyway, so technically an open system, if you're going to consider like what makes Earth an open system or the body an open system... An open system has to be open in both matter and energy. But if we're going to say that matter and energy are one and the same thing, um, because what did they say? It's like matter is frozen energy is the quote. So if matter and energy are the same thing, then it doesn't really matter if it's open in one or the other or both because it's the same thing. So the earth is an open system. Our bodies are an open, open system. The laws of physics need not apply. Well, I won't say that. But it's like, they just don't seem to be as much of an obstacle to the idea of werewolves as I would have originally thought, if you're going to think about it from that perspective. Um, Obviously, when you start talking about quantum, you're talking about the magic of science. Honestly it's it quantum is where the realm of magic and the realm of science overlap. It is fascinating stuff. And a lot of people are going to think it's bullshit. <laughs> um, by the way I'm going to say so- the words sorcery and witchcraft a lot in this episode. I already have um, and I say those completely without judgment um, because I don't really have better words for it quite frankly um now it's going to sound negative at times (laughs) because that is how other people used it but if we're going to be honest I wish that I could magically transform into a bird and poop on my neighbor's head sometimes right so um and there's gonna be stuff later that we can judge way more harshly but anyway, that's like a an asterisk disclaimer. Um so apparently in the Slavic nations there is a fair amount of overlap between ver- vampires and werewolves both in the etymology and the folklore which is interesting. I haven't I haven't dug much into vampires other than what like I understand on the surface about Vlad the Impaler and Elizabeth of Bathory um which is very which is rather surface. well I guess it's not like the most surface level but it's pretty close it's like level two um I guess in some ways it makes sense I mean both werewolves and vampires do have a taste for human blood um both kind of seem to derive from sorcery And um, they both seem to, how do I put this, have questionable lives, length of lives. It seems like they both might have slightly prolonged lives too. So, I mean, there are some similarities, but how much of that is just like people's fear and associating those things with them, I don't know. Um, But it was interesting to to think about like the fact that maybe werewolves didn't you know maybe werewolves also are related to vampires if you look back at like the most most ancient legends so not just skinwalkers but also vampires i'm not sure because i don't speak anything slavic so uh, th- you know there's not much point in- to me there it's hard to dig on things where there's a language barrier because i'm constantly working through somebody's translation i have to trust that translation i have to trust uh that person and their motivations and it just is a lot of layers it's one of the reasons i don't love just even this working through montague but at least there are places where he directly quotes and i can read those quotes I'll say there's a lot of times that he also just speaks in a different language and just assumes that everyone knows. And like, sure, if I was in the 1930s and a minister, I probably would have studied a few of those languages, like Latin and Greek. But I haven't. So if you could translate for me, that'd be that'd be helpful, at least. Um, so that's literally me just contradicting myself for five minutes, but it's fine. Um, but anyway, so... <laughs> I do have questions about how the full moon legend became the norm since it, I mean, it appears from everything I was seeing in the original, well, the semi, the older legends. I won't say original because 1600 is still not original, but everything there seemed to reference the, um, you know, the sorcery aspect of it. Uh, it, it seemed like v- Werewolfin was a voluntary gig you know what I mean So I'm wondering if it was because it like the ritual was stronger on the full moon it worked better um even now magic is kind of associated with the full the full moon in particular. I mean people do 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 um so as like metaphysical esoteric, magic people do their do new moon rituals also but most of the time they're looking at full moon rituals so i wonder if um if like you know witches and sorcerers were doing their werewolfing rituals primarily on the full moons just because there was more magic in the air and so it was more effective and then that association grew um i don't know it would be interesting to look at like so i know skinwalker ranch has a lot of data about when they've had incidents i wonder if they if you looked at their data if you would find more action at the full moons um you know we we certainly have our legends about people going crazy on the full moon right and I guess some studies bear this out some studies don't but I think if you talk to like most people in emergency rooms full moons are crazy times right so I I wonder if Skinwalker Ranch or any of these er incident like these big areas that have like a history of incidents with Skinwalkers and stuff like that if they have a higher rate of incidents at the full moons Um, but I also don't think the government is going to release that data shout out people shout out so um the other thing that summer well one other thing that summers mentions is shape shifting in the north Norse legends um but it, that also reminded me of the shape shifting in the irish goddesses like we mentioned in the the banshee episode um and then there was all those Egypt, egyptian deities you like that you like that page turning that's sexy right um All those Egyptian deities are depicted as human bodies with animal heads. And so, like, I have to wonder then if the various gods of legend were actually just the priestly classes who were capable of shape-shifting and, you know, other things like that through sorcery. And then after, you know, say a cataclysmic flood capable of sinking Atlantis or Tartaria or anything like that, um, that, you know, just the knowledge of those priests, shamans, whatever were the knowledge was lost and so the people that could do that seemed like gods i mean it's a thought i still don't buy a tartaria but it's a thought right um i do believe in ancient antediluvian um civilizations though don't you worry the sphinx is definitely twelve thousand years old (laughs) um but anyway that also makes me wonder if like mothman is some like rookie sorcerer that keeps trying to transform into a moth but like sucks at it so bad and so he gets stuck halfway in between into this like human moth hybrid and he's just it just like sticks out like a sore thumb like freaking my cousin vinny in alabama um yeah you blend (laughs) and then the finally i mean just like if i'm gonna take this further in my head i imagine that finally the witch council is just like you your privileges have been revoked and so he just like takes away his transfiguration license and he just you know you can't do it anymore you keep sucking you keep letting the humans know you're there um i you know i just pulled that out of my butt i don't think that's actually what happened but that's so funny to think about I I want that to be so... I want that to be the case. I would love to know if some of these like cryptozoology things are just from people that really suck at shape-shifting. That would be so funny. Because we all just put... Crypt- okay, not we all, but in, in a certain community, we all put cryptids and stuff like that on a pretty high pedestal. And we all... You know, there's some we don't believe in or whatever. But in general, we put cryptids at a pretty high pedestal if you're of a certain community so to think that it's just literally like joe schmo that sucks at actually blending and is is the cryptid that we notice hilarious um and then i also want to mention that part of the mythos of wolves that has been incorporated into the legend of the werewolf is that like unquenched hunger and greediness for food so um People think of wolves as being vicious, like they'll kill and they'll take more food that they can even eat. They're just so, so vicious. They just, you know, whatever. Or they'll kill and just leave the body there and not take all the food off of it. In reality, wolves... Um, if, if you're interested at all in wolf behavior, you should absolutely read the book, The Man Who Lives With Wolves by Sean Ellis. This guy went, he was so dedicated to the concept of wolves and their behavior that he went and lived with wolves, like, in the wild. He just walked into the wild until he could, like, get adopted by wolves. People do not do this in real life. Terrible idea. You're going to end up like that guy who, like, pretends thought he was best friends with the Kodiak bears up in Alaska and then got eaten, right? 10 out of time 10 times this does not work out, but somehow this guy did it and I have no reason to believe that what he's saying is a lie cuz he's still like working with wolves and um you know, rascaling around with them or whatever. Um he's more like one with wolf mentality in my mind than anyone else. So he may be talking out his ass, but from what he says, based on what he observed, um, wolves actually bury extra meat from their kills in little food caches, um, which is, you know, very similar to like how your dog would bury a bone in the backyard, that kind of thing. It's that same behavior, you know, the leftover from when dogs were wolves. It's be it's a safety mechanism in a way because you ha you need to have a semi-consistent food source um because you know as as a predator you never know when a kill is going to come but part of the struggle of being a predator is that you have to kill a sufficiently large animal to justify the calories expended by hunting um but then you have extra food. You can't eat it all at one time. And so you'll, you'll go and you'll take some food and put it in a cache and tuck it away. And it probably when people talk about like wolves kill their food and then they don't come back for it or whatever, or they just leave and they just leave so much food there. It's probably that they've taken a load to their cache and they're coming back for more, but you've caught the body in the meantime, if I had to guess. But anyway. It's much more energy efficient for wolves to hunt large game and then stash away the leftovers for later than say to like hunt rabbits every time they're hungry for food. Because it's just, it's way too much energy that they're expending for not a lot of gain. Um, And I imagine that like the ravenousness of, ravenousness, I guess that's right, sounds weird, Um, of werewolves. It in part comes from the misinterpretation of that behavior by humans who, I mean, you don't know, right? I mean, why would you know unless you lived with this, lived, lived with animals like this guy, lived with the wolves? Um, but anyway, so the main reason that I wanted to reference Montague Summer's book is because he reprints the original story of the life and death of Peter Tubbs, who we mentioned earlier in the excerpt from Richard Verstigen. Um, at the time, he was probably the most famous slash infamous case of werewolfery because, you know, he was executed in 1589 and then Richard Verstigan wrote his book in 1605. So he's still like that same generation. I'm sure at some point he was Peter Stubbs was dethroned as the most infamous of the werewolves. But at least at that time, he was kind of the biggest, most well-known case. And so... Um, I do want to take a look at it because I want to see what we can learn from that. Um, I'm not going to read it word for word because it's like six pages of early modern English. So it basically sounds like gibberish. It's definitely written like gibberish. It was hard enough to read it anyway because they didn't. I swear words aren't even spelled from the beginning to the end of the tract as they, you know, in the same way. They're definitely not spelled the same way that we do now. So unless you're like a William Shakespeare scholar or like read the secret diaries of Queen Elizabeth, this is going to like basically go over you. I mean, at least it's not Chaucer because my goodness, I know that we, okay, bless my teacher's heart. I did not understand a word of freaking Canterbury Tales. I definitely spark noted all of that. I, for as nerdy as I am, really don't like English literature because it's just... It's too fluid. I like facts. Um, <laughs> and not your interpretation of it. Although I do I will have to say that the funniest thing that, the one thing I still remember from English literature class is um, the whoa, what is it? Stopping by the woods on a snowy evening or something like that by I think I guess it's Robert Frost I think. Um, it, but everyone's like standard interpretation of it is that like this guy's going to he was going to commit suicide and then he didn't. But my teacher told us about like this alternate interpretation where it's Santa. And that just made my week, day, like year. I Obviously, it's the one thing I remember from English class in all of high school. But, you know, you've got this guy stopping at the woods, like looking at all the different, like, looking at the woods, thinking it's so pretty. But he's like, oh, I've got miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep. It's like, because it's Christmas Eve and it's Santa and he's got so much to do. I just, uh, see, I love that. It's a fun twist. It's way more fun than suicide. But so much, so many of the books that I had to read in school were just like, and this person's mentally ill. And this person killed a guy. And this person's life was terrible. And this person had early childhood drama. And it's just like, oh my gosh. I, if I didn't want to shoot myself before, I might now. So anyway, Canterbury Tales. I mean, if you've watched Big Bang Theory, you know that it's like. Uh, <laughs> there's that episode with where Amy Fair, Fair, Amy Fair Fowler literally recites the Miller's tale from the Canterbury Tales. Because it's the most scandalous story that she could think of. But no one knows what the heck she's saying, and that's my problem with Chaucer. So anyway, back to what I was doing. Let's hit the highlights on this story um, about Peter Stubbs. So, okay, apparently he was evil, evil from like a very early age. They claimed he was practicing magic, necromancy, and sorcery from the age of 12. Until the age of like 20. And so I am wondering if this is more like the early stages of serial killer development. Where they start like torturing and killing animals. Then again if you're torturing and killing animals. I really don't care if you're doing it on behalf of a deity or not. Um, you've probably got some sort of evil entity sitting on your shoulder. With no little angel on the other side. Um, whether or not you're listening to them. You're just... I, I don't see how you're not in, you know, dealing with some evil things. And I'll say, again, tangent, that's actually one of the things that bothers me most about animal sacrifice in religion. It's like, where is the line between chicken sacrifice, I'm just an exa- as an example, chicken sacrifice in Santeria and animal torture done by future, future serial killers? I mean, I, I don't know enough to know. I'm sure there is a line like those aren't the same thing. But I come from a hunting background. And so, I mean, yes, I take the lives of animals like I've watched a deer die by my own hand. Well, through a bullet. But yeah, um, but I do it to feed my family and all of the meat is used. It's, um, you know, it's something that we're very thankful for. I thank the deer for it, like I, you know, I I do like a little blessing thing, whatever, and thank the deer for its sacrifice. Um, so, like, I have a very visceral reaction to animal sacrifice, animal sacrifice for the purposes of religion, because there's so much wasted um, meat, like in a physical sense, wasted meat. To me, that's a form of desecration of nature um which i consider to be like a sacred emanation of god you know like kind of like animism if we're going to talk about my own religious beliefs um yeah it's an eclectic mix but i would say that there is at least some animism in there um when you start realizing that everything is frequency and everything is from a divine creation then you start seeing like little bits of God and everything, I guess. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on that. But, like, so I have a hard time, you know, killing a chicken and just throwing it away, you know? I, I feel bad when I kill a deer, like on the side of the road, because uh, essentially that's, that, that meets shit now. Um, so it's not really useful. And so I, you know, I, I hate that. And I, like, that, that bothers me. It bothers me a lot, actually. And so I don't know enough about like Santeria and other religious traditions that, um, do animal sacrifice off the top of my head. I can really only think of like the Western African syncretic religions as doing animal sacrifice, but I'm like, I, I know there's more than that, um, obviously. And I think in general, a lot of witchcraft traditions of the older variety, um, Tend to tend to to still do some animal sacrifice there, um, so I don't know enough to speak on it intelligently. I'm just like reacting viscerally, but let me just say that when a couple hundred headless goats turn up in the Chattahoochee River, which provides water and therefore life force to the city, the city of Atlanta, which is millions of people. And then also hundreds of other smaller communities. That feels evil to me. So that is, you know, I digress. But like that definitely bothers me. And so I don't really care why he was doing it. But it just feels like serial killer training. Anyway, so supposedly the devil gave him a girdle that would turn him into a wolf when he put it on and turn him human again when he took it off. Um, I'm assuming, (coughs) pardon me, I'm assuming that is where Peter Verstegen got his reference about the girdle. I don't know if that reference predates, um, Peter Stump and that it's, you know, something that could have possibly been picked up as part of this Peter Stump legend later and not was like, not actually a factual thing. Um, I don't know. Um, but anyway, if you aren't hip to ye old fashion, you may be thinking that a girdle is a women's undergarment designed to redistribute body fat in a more sexually appealing manner, you know, Spanx. Um, but don't worry, this isn't the Mormon episode. There's no magic underwear. Yes, I did write that joke. <laughs> yes, I know it's bad. Uh, Anyway, so in the 16th century, a girdle just meant a belt, which is pretty anticlimactic at this point compared to what I was just talking about. But if you want to think of it in a more fun way, try imagining a wolf wearing a belt because that would go well. Um, That is kind of humorous. But anyway, yes. So the magic girdle is just a belt. So... Now that we've sufficiently laughed at things, let's talk about horrific details. Am I still going to going to laugh? Yes, that's how I deal with dark uncomfortable things. Allegedly, Peter chose his victims, isolated them on the edge of town away from help, raped and then murdered them. His victims included 13 children of unknown ages, although they did say young but I just don't know what age is. And two women, both pregnant. He is also accused of ripping the babies out of the women's wombs and of partaking in some cannibalism of the babies. It feels really weird using the terms accused and alleged. So technically he was found guilty. I hate to think he actually did this. And it being, you know, so long ago, it's hard to... I don't trust their legal system. I don't trust our current legal system, but I definitely don't trust it in you know, the Inquisition era. Anyway, let's continue. Um Peter killed lambs and kids, aka baby goats, at farms around the area. He had incestuous incestuous relationships. Rude. I hope you guys didn't hear that, but you probably did. Um, he had incestuous relationships with his sister and his daughter, the latter of whom he got, uh, he impregnated. Also, I don't know if this is included in the previous number of 13, but he killed his son and ate some of his brains. There was an also an incident where he lured away, so okay, it was two men and a woman. and he decided that he wanted the woman. So one by when, one by one of the men, he lured them away and murdered them. And then supposedly he raped and murdered the woman, um, but her body wasn't found, whereas the two men's bodies were, so it is hard to say if she was actually murdered. Um, reports state that the bodies of his victims were offered often found dismembered and scattered across fields. And in total, his crimes amounted to a time of time period of 25 years. I can't figure I couldn't figure out if that started at that 12 number that they initially talked about or the 20 number. I, I'm guessing 20 because who starts, I hope he didn't start murdering at 12. So anyway, he'd be like 45 when he got caught. Um, Now his capture occurred when the people in the town sicked their dogs on him while he was in wolf form. He then dropped the girdle so they would have witnessed him transform back into human and then nabbed him. Um, He was put on the rack and then started confessing before they even started torturing him. He confessed all of his crimes plus his werewolfery and the magic belt. He even told them where the, where to find the magic belt. um, But then when they went to go look for it, it wasn't there. They presumed that the devil took it back. So um, Peter Stubbs was found guilty and sentenced to be tortured And killed. Um, Pretty much his torture. And killing. Mirrors what Peter Verstegen. Mentioned in his um, little blurb. Although I will say. The final kill. Actually came from a beheading. And then his body was burnt. His daughter. And his gossip. Which I assume. Is like a live-in mistress. Situation. Um. You know, something where he hasn't made an honest woman out of her kind of thing. But his daughter and his gossip were determined to be accessories to the murders. And they were burned at the stake while his body was being burnt, I guess. It also, same fire. Um. So now let me rant about why that's bullshit. Because I don't believe a word of that. Um, first of all, this is not 20th century America with millions of people to hide among. Um bedburg germany only has twenty five thousand residents now 400 years later by the time this cat would have been done with his killings there would have been like three people left in the town to even care um you you know like they're just i find it very hard to believe that no one knew knew about this serial killer in a small town for 25 years Hell, with technology the way it is now you can't keep a zero in a, t- a small town for 25 minutes um so like surely someone would have realized something it honestly okay so I have a thing for uh, Ireland it's kind of a, I guess if your name is Aaron like to some extent you just interested in it right so I've been trying to find a good Irish comedy. I would take Scottish too. I really do want to go to like the Hebrides and Shetlands and all that. But I've been trying to find a good Irish comedy. And um, unfortunately, like the era of like funny shows was like the 90s. (laughs) But there's this show that was in Ireland called Father Ted. And I just saw a clip of it. I haven't seen the show. But there was this clip. It's like these bumbling idiot priests, which, okay, Keep in mind, Irish is a very Ireland is a very Catholic c- country, or at least culturally culturally Catholic. Um, but there's these three bumbling Catholic priests in this small town in Ireland, and this guy. Is, so one of the priests is holding up a lampshade, and the lampshade vaguely resembles. Um, I don't know what the hats are called, but like the pyramid, t- kind, like the rounded pyramid shaped, pointed, rounded, you know what I'm talking about? Like Chinese straw hats, um, traditional hats. So then Father Ted, I guess it was, the other idiot decides to put it on his head and like pu- put, like pull his eyes so that it looks slanted and like do this chong like obviously racist impression. Not even funny like see the thing is racist jokes can be funny if there's a joke there but if you're literally just like pretending to be Asian and that's the joke that's not very funny but the joke in the show was that he was being racist. I mean that was the point anyway um, but so I can just imagine someone clipping that saying racist jokes can be funny. If you do it well, like truly well, some of the best black jokes, I mean, granted, they're done by black comedians, but like they're not not racist, Um, but they're so funny. And there's a ton of dumb white people jokes, so it can be done. I'm never going to try because I am not that funny. I recognize that. But like a truly good comedian can craft a funny racist joke. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Back to my back let's get away from this aside to my aside. Back to my original aside. Um <clears throat> So Father Ted, he puts his the, puts the hat on and he like makes the slanted eyes and he's like, ha, ha 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 and the other priest is like, Yeah, I guess that's funny. Well anyway, Father Ted takes the the lampshade off his head and looks out the window and he realizes the one Chinese family in town is like standing outside the window looking at him like, Are you fucking kidding me, motherfucker? So, he goes and he's like, oh my, He just like, is feeling so bad. He's just like, oh my gosh, I never would have done that if I'd known there was a Chinese family watching that's terrible, which, okay, it was, yeah, whatever. We all know it's terrible. So, he's like, I have to go catch up with them real quick and try to remedy the situation. So, this has been like two minutes, like long enough for him to feel remorse, put his coat on and walk out the front door and... He walks out the front door and someone looks at him and goes, Hey, father, so I hear you're our basis now. And that's how it, I mean, it's obviously a joke, but that's how it is in small towns. Like, information flies quickly, man. So I just don't, I don't buy this whole, like, didn't find him for so long. You know, the serial killers in America that are not found for 30 years, they're doing it across multiple states and, or they're in, like, a really high, um, like high population area so it's essentially a random person that they're killing versus like a small town everybody knows everybody or everyone knows everyone's cousin like clearly they they absolutely should have figured something out right um also if the people who captured him saw him take off the magic belt and turn back into a human why did they have to wait until after he told them where to find the girdle to fail at finding him like shouldn't they have seen that process happen and been like i'm gonna go get that piece of evidence um it just like it you know that seems like they weren't there um or was he not a wolf you know that's the other thing so either you're an idiot and you didn't see it or you weren't there or he wasn't a wolf because i feel like if i saw a wolf take a belt off and turn into a human, I would have questions about the belt. Um, And then also, if you witnessed him change from a wolf to a man, why do you have to torture him to get him to admit that? Or why do you have to threaten to torture him to get him to admit that? You saw it. So there's that. Um, Confession, you know, due to torture or the threat of torture is notoriously false, even today. So I also don't believe that. There's no reason to believe anything about this werewolfing. Since clearly they didn't freaking see it because they didn't pick up the belt. And they didn't, you know, they didn't have any of this information except for what he told them under duress. So with no physical evidence um, and no, uh, you know, comments made not under duress, I have, you know, this whole thing is just... It feels very Salem witch trialy, you know what I mean? Which is not what I wanted to read in this, this account for facts, right? Um, also, why, why take out his daughter and mistress? I, I didn't get an explanation of that. Um, specifically, like, why they were um, pointed to, why they were convicted. It, it, to me, that made it seem like he probably didn't rape his daughter. Because if everyone knew he was raping and impregnating his daughter why would they then convict her i mean okay to be fair i will say it's entirely possible that they didn't ha- they didn't have the concept of like stockholm syndrome early childhood trauma um things not being women's faults <laughs> you know like it wasn't particular i mean they had like just gotten their first in like woman queen in england in the last century i don't know if Germany or any of those areas had women queens at the time. I think there's even some areas in Britain now with the royal families that you have a woman. Like some some of those German families don't have uh, women as their heads, I think, still. Even still. So, um, granted, they're not actually in power, so what does it matter? But, <clears throat> but my point is, they're not particularly... Quality driven So, um, I'm sure there was probably some misogyny related to why the daughter was also convicted. I don't really care about his girlfriend, because as far as I'm aware, she wasn't raped by her father. So, there's that. Um, But yeah, I mean, to me, that also calls into question, like, who are these people? Like, just... You know, was there any proof that these people were wearing a belt and becoming a wolf? Um, you know, was there any proof that they would did they like scatter the bodies? I mean, if, if all of this was done while he was a werewolf, they would not have needed to be involved. So, like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm just saying it does not make sense. Um, now, ultimately, if he was guilty of even one rape and one murder of one of those children, he deserved what he got. And probably a little bit more. But, um, you know, until I get more information. I just don't trust any of that. Um, Especially the part about the magic girdle. The magic belt. I mean, okay, so you have no evidence of it. And you're just going to tell me that it happened. That's ridiculous. Um, You should have been able to find the belt. I, I, I would buy the belt. Like, weirdly, I'm way more into believing that someone can shapeshift into a wolf then a magic girdle disappears back to the devil it came from that's all just a weird line I'm going to draw right there um but I will say though his actions sound to me like a serial killer not like a wolf um but so even if if even if all his like deeds quote unquote deeds were true i still don't buy the werewolf thing like first of all i don't i don't think an actual werewolf would admit so freely that they're werewolf like first rule of fight club don't talk about fight club you know first rule rule of werewolfing don't talk about werewolfing i mean wh- like wh- just admit to the murders He probably would have met the same fate with or without the werewolf bed. Um, It feels like this was like... So So I I had two thoughts. One, it feels like some weird German dark humor. Like, the people came up with grim fairy tales. Their version of Christmas is Krampus. (laughs) And there's a lot of people dying. And A lot of kids getting eaten, so it's just like, yeah, I did it, and I'm a werewolf too, and I'm coming to your coming after your kids, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that's just like that's the kind of German dark darkness that I, I, you know, maybe he was kidding and they just wrote it down very seriously, and no one understands that it was sarcasm, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but also, like, okay, so if all of your legends involve someone getting eaten, why should I believe? that someone actually got eaten in this story, why wouldn't I just assume that you guys were making shit up about people getting eaten again? You know what I mean? And then also, like, he killed his own son. He impregnated his own daughter and then killed, like, 15 or more people and they didn't do anything about it for 25 years. I'm still coming back to that. Like, 25 years, you didn't do anything? You didn't notice his son was murdered? You didn't notice that his daughter, who probably was young at the time and unmarried popped a baby out. I like it just I don't know. Maybe he thought like if he told them the werewolf story, they'd be too scared to do anything to him and he could die of old age at like 6 months cuz he was already 45 and this was the middle ages, you know? I don't know. It just it to me none of it's believable. But um you know, that's me. Maybe you're different. So where do we go from here? I honestly I don't really know. Um, I mean, I got the answer I was looking for, which is that there are modern differences between werewolves and loop gurus and rugarus and wendingos and skinwalkers and all the other different lycanthropic types, um, but originally these all derived from this one original concept of a sorcerer shape-shifting, um, regardless of the full moon type of thing. But I still have questions. I'm sure you do too. Where did the myth originate? How did it spread across the entire globe? Is it antediluvian? I mean, as soon as you talk about something being worldwide, I start wondering how long ago it existed, considering what we accept as far as like when, you know, different cultures on different continents started talking to each other um, in our, you know, concept of history. But also, is this even real? I mean, what's the actual method? Is it like magic hallucinogenic ointment or a magic belt or something else entirely? Um, You know, personally, I'm not leaning towards magic hallucinogenic ointment. I think it's... I talk a a lot about easy excuses. And I think that it's real easy to say that shape-shifting doesn't exist And these people were high as a kite and thought they were shape-shifting. Just like it's real easy to say that witches weren't really riding on brooms. Well, they were. (laughs) Of the sexual variety. Um, It's real easy to say that witches weren't literally using brooms to fly through the sky. But instead, they were hallucinating it. They were high as a kite. Using the broom handle as a dildo to put hallucinogenic ointment in their vagina where the the skin is thinner and could absorb it more quickly that was my attempt at a scientific explanation of that but anyway i just i it feels like it feels like a cop-out answer i i want to know i mean i'm okay with that being the end result if you can show me that you've really really done the research to prove that that's the case if you're just throwing out speculation i can do that too all right, you know I can do that too. Clearly, I'm talking about open system energy, like energy, open energy systems, and the possibility that the laws of physics don't exist. I can throw shit out too. Um, but anyway, you know, unfortunately, you just you can't Google lycanthropy and find good scholarship on this. Um, the helpful people in the hallowed halls of medicine have labeled the psychiatric condition of thinking that you are a wolf as lycanthropy. So if you Google lycanthropy, all you will find on the first like eight pages of Google is um, reports of the psychiatric condition of literally thinking that you are a wolf, even though you are presenting as human, um, which is not what I have questions about. People, people be crazy. I know that. I just want to know if there's a reason for this kind of legend that involves people not being crazy. Um, the most substantial possible origin. I see of this legend. Right now. Based on what I know right now. Is the berserker. Ulfhethnar. And Jofer Sorry for my pronunciation. Um, of Norse legend. that. Uh, they, so they wore. Bear, wolf, and boar. Costumes. Uh, respectfully you know of those three into battle and then supposedly in their like trance like state they became those animals but like literally um i assume that this is a reference to some sort of earlier myth even than that um and then like we mentioned earlier there's ancient greek traditions there are um, Egyptian traditions, shape shifting in general is found in every culture. There's even the theory of shape shifting Jesus, which, if you have ever listened to <laughs> Sam Tripoli, you know about shape shifting Jesus. Um, the theory is that Judas actually had to kiss Jesus to identify him because Jesus could change his appearance. And there's some hint of that in like certain translations, but I personally have not gone back through the original biblical text to, um, to verify that because I just doesn't, I don't care, I guess. Um, but, but if we're going to talk about shape-shifting, we're talking about shape-shifting Jesus too. And then of course the Greek gods, namely Zeus looking at you, were always changing shape to have sex with somebody. I mean, there was, there was a lot of shape changing for sex. I don't know. Like, I don't know why they couldn't just have sex. There, there was a lot of that too. Um, so if the gods are like, if you're thinking about the gods as representations of antediluvian peoples um, who had more access to esoteric de- technology, then it is quite possible that shape shifting was just part of those civilizations. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know. I think that an hour and a half into my ranting, we're probably good as far as, as this episode. Um, I will probably look... At, to me, I, I have so many unanswered questions that I probably will look further into werewolves in the future. Um, but for now, um, I'm satisfied to know that they're essentially the same thing as, as Skinwalkers and Wendigos and all that. Um, all of those kind of traditions come from the same, same vein. And so, you know, obviously I respect different traditions and how they've developed in different cultures, but I'm kind of interested in hacking the universe and figuring out where those traditions came from. And so I will eventually want to know more. And so eventually there may be another episode, but for now, let me know what you think um go on the sub stack and look at those show notes. You can read the full book by Montague Summers. That's on archive.org. I've got the link there. Um I also want to mention the Lycanthropy Foundation. It is um some Algonquin people who are uh working to put together a library to um to honor all of the lycanthropic tradition mythological traditions across all cultures not just the algonquin culture they've got some good resources there um and it looks like they're developing some more resources for the future and other than that tweet me email me snail mail me let me know what you think and i will talk to you again next week Bye. The world is wild and wonderful. There's so much yet to know. So here we are with questions. It's a one in the sand will show. We've done the map, we've read the books, we've searched through archives. Oh, we're nerds, and we're letting our freak fly fly. Letting it fly, oh, we're nerds, and we're letting our freak flag fly fly.